Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. everybody to the KIRP radio show. I'm your host, Pudgy Man. You guys know what it is. Same time, same place. Every Sunday we do it live. We definitely try to do it B-I-G as I am dropping things all around the place. Uh, I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, tonight's show was supposed to be about, uh, actually it was going to be a debate between uh, William Buckley and James Baldwin. Uh, but, you know, me being out of town and not being able to uh, take care of things and do the things that I needed to do to make that show necessary, uh, we're going to go live and we're going to talk about some live things tonight. And uh, tonight, 
I'm going to talk about uh, understanding uh, Baltimore, you know, the understanding of the mishap in Baltimore, the understanding of the community, and uh, what I feel about the entire incident. So we're going to go to commercial as we get these microphones and these things set up. And uh, give us just a second, folks. We'll be back live with you. You're rocking with the KRP Radio Show, uh, 619-638-8559 is the number. Enjoy this little bit of music, y'all, as we get these things situated here and we bring you the show live uh, in its entirety the way that we like to do it. We'll be right back after these messages. How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism. Nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government. 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. It is my mission to create brand stories for you that push the envelope, force people to stop, think, and take notice. Ride with you on your journey to success by creating great design that makes you look like the originator and not an imitator. Get you out of your comfort zone. Inspire you to take action. Be risky and always stay true to your passion. Tiffany Inc. is located in Los Angeles, California. Tiffany Inc. specializes in designs, creative brands for the entertainment, fashion, beauty, and food industry. Some past and present clients include Jill Osco, J&K Fresh LLC, Celebrity Chef Nikki Shaw, Teen and Family Producer Doreen Spencer, the National Association of Veterans, the Alzheimer's Association, and a host of fantastic others. To contact Tiffany Inc., all you have to do is log on to www.tiffanywithaniinc.com. TiffanyInc.com 60,000 North Carolina families are affected by autism. 
one out of every 110 children born today will be diagnosed with autism. If you have any questions or need support, we can help. The Autism Society of North Carolina can be reached at 800-442-2762. Again, that's 800-442-2762. Remember, 60,000 North Carolina families are affected by autism, and one out of every 110 children born will be diagnosed with autism as well. If you need to reach them by the web, the address is www.autismsociety-nc.org. You can also reach them on Facebook, Twitter, and you can reach them on YouTube. Love somebody today. No problem, Nate. I promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes to play a day, right? And I'll grow up to be big and strong like you. Absolutely. And play in the NFL. Yes, sir. And be dressing number one. Maybe. And become the starting quarterback of the Panthers. Okay. You can be my backup. Excuse me? And make Panthers fans forget about you. What? And become your mom's favorite player. Whoa. Oh. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, folks, to the KYRP radio show. Number one black conservative show, Southeast of the United States, man. You know, we do a B.I.G. over here. B.I.G. like Biggie. B.I.G. like B.I.G. Like Big. Like Elephants. Like like Condos. Like Creflo's Jet. We do it big, baby. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, man. Uh, 619-638-8559 is the number. I appreciate everybody rocking with us, man, through these little tech issues that we had. Again, for people who are just coming on the show, I just want you guys to know that uh, we are not going to air the debate um, with James Baldwin and William F. Buckley, Jr. uh, at Cambridge University. I believe it was 1965, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure that. And uh, it is definitely something that I want my listener audience to experience, all right? If you haven't heard it before, uh, maybe go on YouTube or uh, one of these search engines, man, and, and, and listen to it for yourself. I mean, really, really dig down, listen deep, and discern. And uh, you got to understand that 
this debate was taking place, or this debate took place in 1965, so some of the things that you'll hear these guys sharing uh, have come into our fruition today. So, you know, I just think it's brilliant. You know, I think it's a godsend that you, you go back and listen to that debate. It's definitely uh, handy to your your understanding of people, uh, civilization, and especially, you know, I'm going to say the black community today. So, you know, y'all know my passions, man. It is what it is. Uh, shout out to everybody out there, man. Hashtag ROL15. Just getting back from D.C. Had a bunch of wonderful meetings with a bunch of beautiful people. And, uh, you know, it, ROL15 was a was a wonderful event. You know, shout out to Ed Morrissey, uh, Hot Air. Uh, spend some time with him, man. Wonderful guy. Uh, also, shout out to uh, the people at uh, uh, Block Talk Radio. You know, you guys are big. The people at uh, Americans for Prosperity, shout out to you. Uh, Misty, shout out to Misty. Shout out to Earl, Kevin Daniels. You know, a host of people, man. Shout out to everybody out there, to people that I met on the charter bus, the people that I met at the hotel, and, uh, you know, everybody that I met all around. Just I, I had a wonderful time. It's always nice to go places and, and to be able to talk to people uh, who are like-minded. And then it's always nice to meet people who aren't as like-minded as you. Uh, it, it helps round your shape. Yeah, you know, I, I consider myself well-rounded. And I think I'm well-rounded partially because of some of the experiences that I've had and places that I've lived and people that I've encountered. Uh, people that I love, people that I just come across, some folks that I consider my friends, uh, even folks that I consider, um, or, or I don't have any enemies today, I'll say people who once upon a time, uh, we, we couldn't share the same space. All right? We'll just put it like that. Uh, you know, when you, when you meet various people and you begin to journey through life, um, I think God sends you these encounters to help round your shape, as I say, or to help make you well-rounded. I'm sure you guys heard that before. Um, and, and helping to round your shape, uh, it's a process, man. You know, part of, part of your process is getting over yourself. You know, I think that's one of the probably the most important thing, if you will, uh, that we have to endure in becoming the person that we need to be in life, not the person that we want to be. You know, there's a lot of things that we want to do. You know, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people think that they belong uh, sometimes on the pedestal. Some people, as we grow up and, and as we dream and we fantasize, and I'm a dreamer. I, I think dreamers are doers, and you know, but it's hard work in doing that as well. But uh, I, I think sometimes people think that they should be, uh, you know, entertainers, singers, you know, uh, well-renowned pastors, film producers, uh, movie stars, you name it. You know, who knows what people think uh, that they should be as they grow up. But one thing I know for sure, I believe that God sends us these encounters with individuals that help shape us into who we need to be going forward in our lives. Um, you can't discredit your journey. And what I mean by that is, you know, have you ever gone somewhere and wondered, you know, how did I get here? I mean, a lot of times you may set out to go to the supermarket, right? 
or you might set out to go to the car wash and wash your car or to vacuum your vehicle or, or, or whatnot, and uh, you end up in a place that you never had any intention on being, or you end up meeting someone who you never planned on meeting, you know, from a total different background, from a that has a total different perspective in of life, and uh, you know, those people help shape you. You know, those conversations that you have help shape you. So, you know, I'm gonna stand on something that I always talk about, which is communication. You know, I always say you gotta open your mouth, you gotta say hello, you gotta speak. I notice with all these political events that I go to and, and all the things that I do and all the people that I encounter and that I meet and, you know, all, all these different things, right, all these different things and ideas and, and places that I go, but uh, in, in, in trying to do right in, in my journey, right? But I notice everyone who, who's in the game to do things for right, they all kind of have the same want. Right? They all kind of, or we, we all kind of all have the same desires. And, and basically, we want to combat evil. Like, we want society to live right. We want society to, to be prosperous. We want people to live. We want folks to be happy. We want people to have. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that stems around those uh, ideas or those wants. But in a nutshell, we all kind of want the same things. Um, politically speaking, on either side of the aisle. I think part of the problem with on either side of the aisle is the messaging. You know, one person's freedom is another person's hindrance. Okay? Uh, let's take it to Baltimore. Now, I, you probably heard me say it before, but the narrative, the media narrative, the, no, not even the narrative, the media production, because you, you can't forget, I, I, it's important, everybody, that you understand that news media is a production, okay? It's, a theme, it's themed around news, but it's a production that TV producers have to produce to obtain ratings. And it's money backed by ratings. So you're not going to always get the raw truth, right? They, they want to paint a picture. When you go to watch a movie, there's always a script that goes with the movie. And in this script, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And in the beginning, you sometimes start off slow. Some movies start off high, but generally speaking, the beginning uh is like the subtitle. It, it sets the stage, right? The middle is the meat of the story. The more the details, it, it sometimes it takes you back in the past. Sometimes it takes you in the future. But the the middle sets the tone for the end of the movie. And then when you watch the end of the movie, you know one or two things going to happen. The good guy is going to win, or the bad guy is going to win, and you're going to go home, and you're going to feel some kind of way from watching this movie based on how they produced it after reading the script. Well, that's what's happening in the streets. You know, these are the things that's happening in the communities, and these news outlets are reporting these things. And we fall for it. 
instead of going out, well, you know what, not even going out, instead of looking at these situations or reading into these situations or even watching them on the news and television, we don't apply those to our lives. Like, we don't look at those things and go, you know what, if I was in this situation, how would I react? Or what would I do? Or what would my background be? Right? So I'm going to set the stage for that. We'll be right back after these messages, man. And I got to go to one commercial, and then we're going to talk about it some more. All right, you listen to the KRP Radio Show, baby. We'll be right back after these messages. 60,000 North Carolina families are affected by autism. One out of every 110 children born today will be diagnosed with autism. If you have any questions or need support, we can help. The Autism Society of North Carolina can be reached at 800 442 Again, that's 800-442-2762. Remember, 60,000 North Carolina families are affected by autism, and one out of every 110 children born will be diagnosed with autism as well. If you need to reach them by the web, the address is www.autismsociety-nc.org. You can also reach them on Facebook, Twitter, and you can reach them on YouTube. Love somebody today. Folks, welcome back to the KRP Radio Show, man. 619-638-8559. I was getting some feedback problems, so I had to go to that commercial really quick. And I also wanted to get it out of the way, all right, because I don't really want to go to another commercial. I have, I have one more to do. We'll try to do it at the end of the show. But uh, listen, let me get the music up. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, uh, listen, so in what I was talking about earlier, the journey uh, the production of news media, the things that we go through, the interaction of just everyday people, the conversation that should take place, the hello, the shaking up the hands. Uh, I take all of those things and then I look at a situation like what's going on in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, I'm not going to sit here this whole show can talk about rioting. I'm not going to do that. Because I'm not going to add on to the same production and string music that all of these media outlets have been showing you and telling you and that you've been listening to. It's amazing to me that this is the only topic of discussion uh, when you mention Baltimore to most people. Even people that a lot of the times consider themselves informed. You know, the subject matter or the meat 
of this entire Baltimore situation is a man being found dead or killed or murdered in police custody. Again, um, this Baltimore uprising or response is long overdue. And I know people don't like that. But, you know, I was just telling a friend today, she said, why, what I don't like is these people are burning their own stuff. And I said, you know what, I understand. I don't like it either. Right? I, I, I don't like it. And it's not right. Okay, I don't condone it, but I understand it. And the reason I understand it is these are the things that black communities have been shown and have been uh, not physically taught, but subconsciously taught. You got to go back and you got to look at the introduction of a whole lot of these things that has been taking place in the black community. The handshake of these riots that we've seen happened in the 60s in America, in black communities, where police, um, grassroots, so-called grassroots organizations, uh, hate groups like the KKK, the UKA, uh, the Aryan Brotherhood, and et cetera, the handshake and, and where this kind of attitude comes from or this kind of behavior comes from is what black people have seen through the course of our years in history. You know, and it's not taught properly in school. So that's where I get the understanding, again, because I understand it, but that's where I get the understanding that a lot of black folks don't understand what exactly they're doing when they burn their own communities down. Now, I know some people out there going, you know, man, what is, what the fuck you talking about, man? He, he tripping. They know what the hell they're doing, man. Anybody know what they're doing when they're burning down the neighborhood and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But innate behaviors, believe it or not. It's a knee-jerk reaction. Like, once upon a time, here's why white people don't burn up their own communities in times of despair when those communities are going through. And they go through, maybe in a totally different way than what poor, poor black folks go through, but they go through too. But let me explain this first. When people have a mindset that says, this is mine, even though I have not achieved this. It creates a false sense of ownership. Those are people who lose. When people have the understanding that I don't have to work hard to achieve, and I know, y'all, this sounds like string music from another conservative, whatever, but hear me out, right? Hear me out, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give y'all some game. 
when people have been taught all of their lives that you can live, you can eat, you can sleep, and you can walk through life and still have the bare necessities to live if you're willing to be controlled, it creates a false sense of ownership because they don't own the things that they live in, the houses that they live in, when people have this kind of understanding. This is not only the black community. This is the mindset of poor people who don't have the will to overcome the, the, the footprint or the or, or, or the the choking uh, of the government with the social experiences or experiments, excuse me. We don't have the ability to see through what the United States of America's government is doing to poor people. You're a victim. And this kind of mentality is taught and is passed down from tradition to tradition and tradition and, and and sometimes parents teach their children, hey, you ain't got to worry about that. You ain't got to worry about having a baby out of wedlock. You don't have to wait till you get married. You don't have to go out and work two or three or four jobs to to own this small, maybe $50,000 one or two bedroom house to call your own. You know, you don't have to go out and work these jobs and work that hard to achieve that because over here, right next door to me and your grandma, right? I'm telling y'all what's real now. Right next door to me and your grandma, you can get an apartment over here too. You can get a project too. All you have to do is be willing to Surrender yourself, humiliate yourself, have no privacy, have no will to save and overachieve, and have no will to want more than what they are willing to give you. If you're willing to do all those things, which is very easy to people who have not been taught any different, you can have an apartment over here too. When people have that kind of mentality and they teach these things to their children, and even if they don't teach it to their children, again, you've got to understand what innate behaviors are. It's not only things that how humans evolve and not realize it. Sometimes these innate behaviors are learned from just being around, just hanging around. You know, have you ever wondered how you use the same language as one of your friends? You may have a friend that uses the word like a lot in a paragraph or in every sentence that they say. Man, I'm like chilling, like just going out here like, you ever heard people talk like that? These things will jump on you, man. That's why you got to understand that the spiritual world is real. Like, folks don't want to accept that. They want to discredit Christ. They want to discredit the Holy Spirit. They just want to discredit God. But spiritual warfare is real. And if spiritual warfare is real, then Christ is real. And I ain't trying to preach to y'all. I'm just telling y'all what's real. We get these things, these habits, that sometimes we don't own by just hanging around 
a certain type of individual, a certain type of people. Just chilling. You know, just coming through, man. We're going to hang out a little bit. We're going to talk. That's why you can't hang with anybody. That's why you can't hang anywhere. Like when you're trying to improve your life and you're trying to build things for yourself and you're trying to build some character that maybe you once did not have because you, you have a goal and there's some places that you want to go and some things that you want to achieve, you can't hang with everybody until you put some, some credibility and some thought into where you want to go and to what you've learned and, and, and into your journey. Like once you get some clout in that thing, you know, once you understand that thing and, and, and your mind is made up, you know, and, and nobody can change your mind about where you want to go and what you want to achieve and how you're going to achieve it. And no matter how hard you got to work, you're going to get it. You know, once you have that understanding in your mind and in your brain and you know that nothing in this world can change that, that's when you can go out and start talking to people who aren't quite where you are because you can combat those spirits that they might have or those things that, they, that they're dealing with. You know, that's when you can help somebody with their problems when you've overcame it already, when, you, when you've overcome those problems already. That's when you can help somebody else. But you can't help somebody when you're still going through yourself. You can't help somebody through poverty, poverty, excuse me, and you're impoverished yourself with no will to get out of it. Sure, you can help someone on the same level and you can come up together. But there's no way you're not going to grab some of those same habits of the person that's coming up along with you and some, before you realize that you got to shake that off. That's why people go to church. They go to church to be around positive people who share the same ideas of Christ, who want to worship and praise God and live holy and be happy just so they can make it through the other six days of the week, sometimes seven because some churches ain't right. Sometimes you got to combat that mess in church. And that's even why you have to have an individual relationship with God, an individual experience with God. You have to get that knowledge yourself with God. You have to have a relationship with Christ yourself. You got to understand those words that your pastor is preaching on that, on, that, on that pew, you know, or in that pulpit, or in the, in the crowd, or in the lane, or walking through the church, or even on the porch, or under a tent, or wherever you're getting your spiritual guidance from. But you got to understand that thing for yourself. Because if not, you can be easily manipulated, which again brings me back to Boston. I'm sorry, Baltimore, excuse me. You have people who have a certain kind of mindset that don't have any ownership. So they don't have any problem burning money that's not theirs. They don't have any problem burning down the store that they don't own. I bet you didn't see nobody over there burning their own house down. So I hear people say, why are they burning down their things that are in the neighborhood? But damn, that ain't that crap. That ain't that shit. There ain't no black CVS on over there burning his own damn CVS down. There's no black barber over there burning his own barbershop down. They don't own these neighborhoods that they live in. They don't own them. These aren't traditionally black neighborhoods because traditional black neighborhoods, and if you've been listening to this show long enough, you know I've already schooled y'all on that before. 
traditional black neighborhoods are now owned by Arabs or immigrants. Let me just say that, immigrants. See, a lot of you that vote Democrat all your life, and yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there because it's just real. You ain't got to like it, but it's real because traditional black neighborhoods are predominantly politicized by Democrats. We just got to call it what it is. Again, you ain't got to like it, but you ain't got to see, you got to accept it, but it's a fact. It's true. These black neighborhoods are politicized. They're, they're, they're politically ran by the black church. Okay? I know you don't like it. I know some of y'all don't like it. All right? But politically speaking, there's Democrats that are running the black neighborhoods. So for all these years, you continue to vote the same way and your crime rate gets worse. Now, here I am, a black young Democrat, right? Me. And there's plenty of people in Baltimore that are just like me, right? And I'm going to get to, I'm going to get to these innate behaviors, these, these things that we've learned subconsciously, and we didn't even realize we learned it. I'm going to school y'all on that in a minute, because these are things that I believe to be true. And if they're not, hey, 619-638-8559, krpradio at gmail.com. Hit me up, tell me I'm wrong, and prove it. Show me. But here I am, a young black man from a 100% uh, Democrat voter block, all right, 100%. Everybody in my community voted Democrat. Every black soul on my street where I grew up in Wilson, North Carolina, voted Democrat. And we had a pretty damn nice neighborhood. It wasn't the worst. It was pretty good. But in this neighborhood, there were working class people. Some apartments, some houses, some Section 8. There weren't any projects. I, I always kid people, you know, they say, you know, Pudgy, where you grow up? I said, I grew up poor. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood where folks work, and there might have been 10 to 15 of us in a household, and we made it work. You know what I mean? And I watched my grandfather go to work every single day of his life. I watched my grandma working because she couldn't, the arthritis held her down, and she could not work anymore up until uh, a later 60s, 70s. You know, I watched my grandmother do that. I watched her get that SSI check every month. I watched them struggle to pay bills, but we didn't go without because they worked hard. They were willing to go out and do other things. And so was everybody else in the neighborhood, right? I've watched this. I've seen this. People working full-time at a part-time job, you know, people helping together. You know, my neighbor might borrow sugar from us. People borrow flour. You know, I, man, we had neighbors that borrowed water. People borrow lights, utilities. See, that's the background that I'm from. Soledad O'Brien can't tell you a damn thing about somebody borrowing lights. This is the real black community where people worked, right? Nobody stood around for a handout. People worked a job. So here I am in this community that votes the same way. Now, here's your illegal immigration. Let me throw that in there, too. And I don't know this ain't got a damn thing to do with Baltimore. I'll bring you back in a second. I'm telling my damn story. Deal with it. If you don't like it, click. But rock with me, though, because I appreciate you. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm 11, 12 years old. And if you've listened to this show before, you probably heard me tell this story before. You know, people say, Pudgy, why don't you support amnesty? You know, why do you have a problem with immigrants coming to America? I see I don't have a problem with people coming. America's the promised land of the day, man. This is the freest of the freest country that you can live in. Uh, uh, just, just 
you know, speaking on the baseline of things, you know, in a nutshell, I know about the taxation and like, I, I get all of that, the laws, and I, but in, in the end, pound for pound, this is the freest nation that you can live in, okay? This is the, this is the land where you can dream and you can sing and record it on a CD or tape and you can sell it on the street and, and become a star. And that's what I love about my country. It's my country, by the way, just so you know. So here I am playing on the street with a friend of mine. Nice neighborhood now, by the way. Clean streets. No, I'm talking, we didn't have no crime, really. No, a fight here and there, you know, stuff like that. You know, uh, uh, one white man, Mr. Shot, on the grill around the corner, and there was a meat market uh, around the other block, you know. And we all shot there. In the middle of the black neighborhood, there was a few white families around. I'd say the ratio was 5 to 25, you know, 5 to 20, whatever. And uh, we all shared and we shopped in the same places and we interacted, and that's just what it was. But here comes the 90s. I meet this Jamaican guy on a bike. First of all, I'm playing in the street with with, with a home with my homeboy, and I said, "Yo, what you about to do, man?" He said, "Yeah, I'm gonna shoot some basketball, but I gotta I gotta go get off this work." I'm like, what you mean this work? Man, this guy cut grass together. <laughs> we pull weeds in, in in the yard for old folks together in in, in the flower beds, uh, rake leaves together. That's how we got money. That's what that's how we got off work. But it was like, check this out. I didn't know slow leak. I knew what crack was. He was like, go see the Jamaican guy over there on the bike, and he can get you straight. Make some money. So, you know, I poke my chest out. You know, I, uh, I pimp a little harder. Throw my head up high, walk over there to this guy on the bike. And I said, Yo, such and such said, You'll give me some work? Those were my words. He said, uh, in the, in the Jamaican accent, do you, do you know what to do? You know what to do with this? Yeah, man, I know what to do. Sure, I, I know what to do. Yeah, I know what to do with it, you know? He said, Okay. I'll give you these two grams, and you bring me back. Actually, it was four grams. So I'm going to give you four grams in two packs, and uh, you bring me back $100. You keep the rest for you. Then come see me again. So I took it. I'm looking at it like, you know, this is my first experience with crack cocaine in my head, you know, and I'm, and I'm looking at this like, what do I do with it now? I didn't really know. I've seen it. I've seen people sell drugs. I've seen drug addicts. I knew how the game went, but I didn't know what to do with it when I got it. And that's a whole other message in that for, for a lot of different people that, and I'm not even talking illegal. Like, real quick, before I get into the rest of that story, there's a lot of us that ask for things in life. We pray to God for things. You know, we want things. We want a woman. We want a car. We want that job. We want that big house. We got the house we got. We got the house we want. You know, this house has been working, but now we want that big house. 
we got a Honda, you know, we got an awesome move. Now we want that big car, you know. Oh, we got a girlfriend, you know, she's been working out, but, you know, now I'm ready for that wife, man. I'm about to make that big step, so we're going to have this big wedding. You know, we ask for these things. You know, I got a job. I'm, I've been a manager or, you know, I've been an assistant manager or whatever you are. You know, I'm holding my job down. But you know what? Now I want to be the boss. I want to apply for that executive job. You know, I don't went to school, got my degrees. I want that executive job. And we pray for these things, and then when we get them, we don't know what the hell to do with them a lot of the times. We just don't know. And it's survival of the fittest. Those of us who want to survive will survive all of those things. And we'll endure what comes along with those things. And a lot of the times we'll make it out and we'll come out a better person. Even if we don't come out with those things that we ask for, it'll make us a better person, which is me with selling drugs and, and that whole experience. And, and, you know, that's all I'll say to that. As a matter of fact, that's a perfect ending to that. I started selling drugs. You know, it was a start to an ending. This neighborhood uh, went from very decent to horrible. People started moving out. The violence grew. There were deaths. I've seen deaths, multiple deaths, destruction, shootouts, people getting shot, having shootouts, robberies. Uh, liquor houses pop up, you know, uh, crackheads all over the place, there's needles all over the place, there's baggies all over the place, people are up all times of the night, the music comes, and this neighborhood went from being where you could sit on the porch at 2 in the morning and smoke mosquitoes, that's some South for you right there, shout out to everybody who know about smoking mosquitoes on the porch with grandma at 12 and 1 and 2 in the morning. With, with other church members and neighbors and throw your hand up and say good night and, and, and go in the house and not forget locking the door. You might not shut the door. You might leave the screen door open. You might not even shut the door. And you went to bed and with the windows up, every window in the house. And, man, when you woke up the next morning, that was some kind of summer breeze in that house. Felt so good. I can still smell it today. So we went from that to getting dead bolts, putting bars on windows, putting balls on the door, chairs in front of the door, couches in front of the door, buying shotguns, people moving out, uh, you name it. And I got a little bit older, and I started looking back and reflecting on, reflecting on these things, and I said to myself, how in the hell did we go in my neighborhood? Because I, y'all got to understand, like, I... I still deal with diverting of destroying that neighborhood on the corner of Vance, Maplewood, Lee, Bragg, and, and Green Streets, Hill Streets. I still struggle with that. We, we, not me alone, but we destroyed those blocks. When I say we destroyed, I'm telling you we destroyed those blocks. And, and with the help of some others, shuffled millions and millions and millions of dollars through those blocks. And all sorts of illegal immigrants from all over the world came through those neighborhoods as if they were just going to another city. No green card, no suspicion, no nothing. These people were literally traveling from half, no, I'm sorry, from the other Side of the world to little Wilson, North Carolina on a very small street on a few corners delivering cocaine and marijuana and heroin. 
and pumping that stuff into our country. So, as I look back, I always wonder how we got there. So I started reading, and I started listening to the people who were in power. Because, I mean, these streets that I named are literally five blocks. And I ain't talking about city blocks. I'm talking about small town blocks. Four, five, maybe six blocks from the police station and the sheriff's station. City Hall. All the city offices. Not even, it wasn't five, six blocks. Four, five blocks. Maybe. Probate offices, you name it. The SWAT team could have walked, put it that way. The whole entire sheriff's department could have walked on us. They didn't have to drive their cars. That's how close they were. In the city, beat cops walked three times as much the distance of where we were destroying these neighborhoods to the police and sheriff's headquarters. So, again, I look back on these things, and when I first started getting informed, I went, damn, who allowed us to do this? We were kids, and the people that we were working with were young adults, you know, a few older people, but age don't matter when it comes to something like that, when you're, when you're totally transforming a neighborhood. So I began to search and find out who the political players were. And then I begin to listen to these people, and the, the things that I heard from their mouths is that, I mean, for year after year after year, I can go back and show you where these folks were running for office and saying, you know, we're your protectors from the people across town, basically. You know, the white Republicans, right? I can show you where they were saying that. We're here for you. We got you. We need your support. I'm scratching my head because like anything that makes common sense, if I have a bodyguard and this person is protecting me and I'm paying them to protect me, paying them with my vote, paying them with my taxes, whatever you want to call it, paying them with code or cash. If I'm paying these people and I continue to get robbed and I continue to be worse off, why do I continue to pay these people? Why does it make sense for me to continue to pay these people? It's something wrong with that picture. And that's how I got the revelation. They've been lying the whole time. Because me being, having the love of God in my heart, I had all types of friends. So I spent time in their neighborhoods too. And they didn't have those problems. And a lot of the times they didn't even live very far. I'm talking about just over the tracks or, or, or 10 blocks up the street. They didn't have those issues. There was nobody around. They're selling drugs. There was no, you know, I, I just didn't understand. I mean, I, I understood, but I didn't understand. And now I overstand. Now I see this, it's just a game. So now, because of those situations and, and, and those experiences, as I was talking about at the top of the show, you know, that I, and, and, and those interactions that I've had with people, thank God, 
in places that I've traveled and, and people that I've seen and that I've talked to and all of that jazz, those things have put me in a position to be able to overstand what we were going through in that neighborhood and how no one really cared, especially the people who were in those communities as our community leaders. The people who were, quote, unquote, over those communities as our overseers, as our spokespeople, and as our representatives. And I got no respect for them today. Zero. I don't give a damn how powerful they are in Congress. I don't care how much legislation they passed in the state house. I've got no respect for them for what they allowed to happen in the, to their constituents in the neighborhoods that they claim they most represented that they claim that they were the voice of. I got no respect for these people, zero respect for these people, until they can look at these people in those neighborhoods that I grew up in and look at those people in the neighborhoods that I personally helped destroy until they apologize for being the pieces of shit that they are and allowing these people to go through this disparity and this type of evil that we produced on these people. Until they can look at them and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I manipulated you for a vote, I manipulated you for support, I took your money, and I didn't do you any justice. And until that happens, I will never have respect, I'm sorry, respect for the Democrat Party in the United States. Fuck them. Because I see what happens over and over and over and over in this country. So I slide to these Republicans. And they definitely are ready to help me remember what the Democrats did to the black community. Oh, my God. That's what you hear so much. Look at what they did, Pudgy. Speak on it. Talk on it. Tell them. We got your back, Pudgy. We hear you. Man, that's smoke and mirrors too. Because as a conservative, I understand what our principles are. I understand like some people will never, never understand because of the experiences that God allowed me to go through to be able to see, to understand these things that a lot of people are just learning and they only read about. Well, I've been through these things that you're reading about. And that ain't even the half. I've got more stories for your ass. So I've been able to see behind the eight ball and to be able to step out from behind the eight ball and look into the eight ball and say, you know what? Damn. While these people were manipulating, these people were allowing. And they were watching. And they're still watching. And they're still just talking about what we got to do and how we got to outreach and how we got to help. But there ain't no outreach. These are American citizens in America that are going through and if you're not doing anything about it, you're allowing it, and you are part of the problem too, and you need to go. Exit stage left. We don't need you. We can do without you. I will pass. And those are the things that people don't understand when they start commenting on Baltimore. A city where Democrats, Democrats, get your damn stats, read your stats. 
a city where Democrats have been allowed to run amok. What crime has allowed has been allowed to happen over and over and over. Where budgets have been manipulated, where politicians and, 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 and businesses have been in relationships and have been crony and capitalizing on the downfall of the people in these communities. Where no one really offers solutions to the crime and the disparity that's happening in these communities. These things have been allowed to happen. And as I said before, as I've said this weekend in Washington, and I'll tell you guys again, if you somewhere for a sound bite, maybe somebody was recording me or whatever. I know somebody was one time. But anyway, it's a trip with these little hidden cameras. Like People act like you don't see them. I'm a little bit more intelligent than that. But anyway, it's the same old trick, man, in other words. It's the same old thing. It's the same old thing. It's the same old production. The news come in. They report the despair. They go away. Someone comes in who has a good heart that generally really wants to help. There are a lot of groups out there that really want to help anybody, not just the black community, not only the poor community. Some people just want to help folks in need. There are a lot of people out there that strive to do that. It's their God, they are God sent, it's their missions, it's what they do in life, it's them offering themselves to humanity, to people, to to America. You know, there are people out there who genuinely want to help. But it's the same old narrative, man. It's the same old thing. And when folks start commenting on what's going on in Baltimore, I just shake my head because they don't understand. And and I, I told y'all earlier how I wanted to I, I wanted to make you understand how I'm able to overstand it and how I get it that people are burning down the communities that they live in or or the things that are in the communities that they live in because ain't nobody burning down their own house. See that's BS. Don't let folks in their mouths paint that picture for you folks who aren't paying attention. If you're just sitting back listening, you would think that there are people out there in Baltimore that are pouring gasoline on their own apartment building and setting a match to it going, I don't want to live here no more. Forget this white man's apartment. That's BS, man. That ain't happening. People ain't burning down their own house either. Not that they have any ownership to. People are burning down things that they have no ownership of. That don't belong to them personally that they have no personal loss or, or experiences with, or gain, if you will. That's what's being burned down. And I don't condone it. I get it. And I get it because if you look back into the 60s, and I know some of y'all have been waiting, now, i got to hear what he got to say about this. Well, if you look back into the 60s, there were people like the KKK and the UKA coming to the black community, and anyone who supported the black community being you white and American Indian or whatever. They burned down your houses. They planted things in your yard. They threw cock Molotov cocktails through your window with the intent to blow up your homes. They burned down churches. They burned down buildings. I, you know, Black Wall Street was burned down. 
and I've seen in various places, just like in Burlington, North Carolina, and in Greensboro, North Carolina, where they allowed hate groups to come in and have their way with the black community and have their way with the poor communities and then sit there and watch it transpire and watch those houses burn down and watch those businesses burn down and didn't have any attempt to come save those businesses for those people. And that's the reason why people burn down and sit in their own communities. Because we've seen it, and America doesn't teach it properly. So there's something inside the head of poor black people who don't have any ownership to these things that says, you know what, it's okay to burn down the things in your own community because they did it. It's okay to do it. This is how you protest. This is how you get changed. You burn down the things in your community. The fire trucks come in, and when the ashes and the smoke burns through the night and the ashes are in the air and as the wind blows and you smell the things burning in that community and the news cameras come rolling in and the politicians come rolling in and everybody gets to say they're not treating us right and you finally make the fucking news after you burn down the things that are to the rest of the world representative of you. They've shown us it's okay, and nobody ever said it wasn't okay, subconsciously. They've shown us this. See, in the 60s, if you look at the cameras where you see people getting their heads kicked in, and when you see people getting dogs, police dogs, sicked on them, and when you see fire hoses spraying these human beings, they were trying to march Outside of their communities, you dumbasses. They were trying to get outside of their communities. They were headed to the city halls. They were headed to the places that wouldn't let them eat. They were headed to the places that wouldn't serve them. See, they were going outside of their communities. But you know what? Those people who they were confronting came back inside of the black communities. And you know what? They burned it down. And the police allowed it. The fire trucks allowed it. And one black person would sit back and they would go, oh, this is how we get a response? Now the newspapers are writing about it? You know, now the news cameras are here? Now television is reporting it? You know, now activists are flying in from other places? So this is all we got to do is burn down our own shit in our own neighborhoods and we can get a response? Is that all we got to do? So we don't got to go over there messing with those white folks and stealing TVs in those white communities and, and, and breaking in doors and kicking in windows and throwing bricks through windows. And I said stealing TVs because I read where a man stole a television in 1950-something and got 40, 20, 20 years in prison because of it. That's why I said television. That's why that was on my mind, because I just went there. But see, you got to understand the, 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 the underground innate behavior that has been learned, the belief that you can burn down things in your own neighborhood if you live in a poor neighborhood, because that's when the cameras are going to come in, and that's when you can finally say, we've been trying to tell y'all they've been killing us. They've been shooting us. They've been beating our freaking brains in. And nobody's been paying attention. So now I want you to go back and look at this story from this year and that story from that year. And while you're listening, hold on one second. Hold on. Hey, go next door and get Keisha, and let's tell about the time the police came over here and they beat her brother up. Or go next door and get Sandra and bring her dad and let him tell him about the time that they tased him. Or go get this guy where they knocked his eye out, knocked his eye, pushed his eye in the socket where he 
Patrick, I'll have a glass eye now. Or go get this guy and go get that guy. See, these are the reasons when things like happen like this in these black communities and the stories continue to come out because this is their way of protest. That's why I took my kids and I asked them, I said, do you guys know, along with my basketball team and the kids that I mentor, I said, do you guys know the difference between protesting and rioting? And I got to give it to them, man. They shot some good definitions out there. Like they really explained what they thought it was. But the problem from their perception was they were too close. The definitions that they gave me were one and the same. And that let me know that even in my house, as informed as I think I am, with all the things that I do when I talk about and read and old things that I listen to and, and just knowledge that I try to take in to mold and change me for the better and my thought process because I was part of that group as well. So even in my household, my kids in the past, now they know, and they're young, you know, don't get it twisted, they're young, I know they got time to grow, but even they didn't know the difference, really, between rioting and protesting. And it's amazing. So if they don't know in 2015, and we're a fairly middle-class family, working-class, knowledgeable voting family. Like we understand, we read, we get it. What do you think the kids of the parents who don't give a damn believes? What do you think the kids who live in a household where a parent is not teaching them to work for a living and to work hard and, and, and to have credibility in who you are and believe that you can strive and strive and strive and achieve something if you decide to do it? If you have it in you and you do have it in you and it's required of you, what do you think happens in the household of people who don't believe that, who don't share those ideas with their children? Where do you think they're getting it from? They're getting it from the producers. They're getting it from the media, from those images, those snapshots, because children commonly don't pay us no attention when we're talking to. They don't pay us no attention. That's why we have to tell them two or three times. And I stopped getting mad about that. I get it, because when you're a kid, you ain't really listening. If you're listening, you don't hear well. So you have to be told, even adults have to be told over and over and over about things, unless it's something that's right in front of their eyes that they absolutely care about every day, or they make themselves care about. So these teenagers in 2015, all they see and all they've heard was that things burned down and people protested in the black community and the news cameras came out, and that is how change happened. And they marched a little bit, and they created a little habit, and that's how society accepted black people in, every, in all of society, or in America, if you will, outside of the black community. No one told them the truth of everything that happened. No one told them that people were trying to protest not riot. People were trying to protest outside of their communities in the places where they weren't socially accepted and they got their heads beat in and kicked in. No one told them why. 
No one told them that people were trying to march outside of their neighborhoods and not even violently. No one told them that when these things burned down in their neighborhoods that it wasn't them. No one told these folks that. No one told them that even when there were people that were setting a store in their neighborhood that was owned by the white guy that happened to place a business in the black community because those are the businesses that were burning and in the beginning. And they're always going to be looters. Looters are criminals. You got to keep that in mind. And that's why I'm not talking about looters. I'm not talking about them because they're criminals. Criminals are going to do what criminals are going to do until the end of time. And that will never change. So looters don't concern me. Those are opportunists. Those are criminal opportunists. A criminal opportunist will wait for you to put your pocketbook down, ladies, and they will pick it up and run off with it. Guys, they will pickpocket you when you put your wallet in your back pocket or in your inside coat pocket. Those are opportunists with special skills that sit back and they wait and they creep until things are perfect for them to do their thing. And what's more perfect than civil disruption? Nothing's more perfect than that. So before and, and, and in my closing, I just want folks to understand this. I want you to really understand this. I want you to understand that before you can speak on an issue, and especially before you can speak before people on an issue that you're not well vetted in. A few things have to happen, but one thing especially, you have to have the ability to discern, and you have to know the history from a first-person understanding. Books aren't going to get you there a lot of the times. Um, that's my time, man. Shout out to everybody out there. I appreciate the love you guys show. Thanks for listening to the KRP Radio Show. And uh, next week, man, same time, same place. Next week, we're going to air the debate uh, between James Baldwin and uh, William F. Buckley Jr. at Cambridge University in London. Uh, the title of it was uh, the American Dream Is the American Dream at the Expense of the Negro Or the American Negro, I think it says uh, Something like that But you can find it on the KRP Radio Show page And uh, we'll try to get that out to everybody, man Thanks for rocking with us, man Check us out on Facebook Facebook.com backslash KIRP Radio Show We're also on Twitter At symbol KRP Radio Show KIRP Radio Show For people that Say I say it too fast. Person like a pimp, I think you listen too slow. <laughs> anyway, um, we're also on iTunes, man. The iTunes have been blowing up. Shout out to all the iTunes listeners out there, man. I appreciate the love that you guys show us. If you guys have iPhones, check us out. iTunes podcast, KIRP radio show. Uh, three words, KIRP radio and show on iTunes uh, podcaster. Uh, also... Spreaker, you know we're on Spreaker, blogtalkradio.com slash K-I-R-P radio show, or look for us with uh, WM3G. And, uh, you know, this is 
This is this is the show, man. This is what you get when you listen to the KRP radio show. And um I try to keep it raw, I try to keep it real. You know. Uh, I try not to hold back. I try to speak my truth. Uh people know that I'm a conservative independent who definitely leans right. It is what it is because of the obvious. If you've been listening to the show, you would understand why. Uh, you know, don't look at the people that I deal with. Don't look at some of the places that I go or some of the people that are making noise that you might see with me. Um, listen to the words that I'm sharing with you. Listen to my idea and my truth. Uh, thanks for rocking with your boy, man. Check me out on IG. And, uh, you know, we're all over. Shout out to all my people out there in D.C., man. All the love that y'all got showed me, man. You're B.I.G. in my book. And I appreciate the love. We're out of here, man. See y'all next week. Confunction Love, take us away.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.